From Orms, this is Orms Air, where we unpack and investigate the compelling questions at the forefront of our creative community's consciousness. Joined by the artists, photographers, and creators brave enough to step up to the mic and join us in discussion. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Orms Air, the Orms podcast. Today, in our digital studio, we are joined by photographer Tatenda Shidora. Join us in conversation as we talk all things analog, discuss the importance of minimalism in the sharing of authentic stories, and how lockdown has forced us to slow down and look out. Tatenda, welcome to Orms Air. It's wonderful to have you in our little digital studio. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I've always said that the Orms family really loves me. I should pay a visit very soon when I'm down in Cape Town. Yes, uh, we do love you at Orms. It would be, it would be <laughs> really nice. You. You, must come, you must come and visit us next time you're in Cape Town. We can actually meet face to face. I would definitely. Maybe I should just take a day extra because most of the times when I'm done, there's yeah. always for a job. And then you land in the morning and then in the evening, you have to dash out quickly. Yeah, so I never get to see any specials in the store, um, but I'll definitely come visit. Yeah, we can, we can have like a whole. We'll have a lunch. There you go. That's all. Yes. we'll have we'll have a day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So Thank you. we um and as you were saying, we at Orms, we love you. We've um we've sort of been watching your work and your growth within the um sort of medium of photography for a while now. Um, and we, we wanted to invite you onto the podcast so we could actually just have a chat about your sort of progression through this art form. And I wanted to, oh, I wanted to ask you, you've mentioned in a lot of previous interviews that you've done that your love of photography was installed at a really young age. Would you be able to share with us your sort of creative beginnings and how you were introduced to photography? Oh, amazing. So I have this vivid memory, yeah. um, when I was young, five, six, I think just started grade one. Yeah. And my mom used to collect um, your family magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Women in Home back in the day, but, but I think it was Fair Lady. I yeah. remember Fair Lady vividly and and um, um, your family. So what I would do is that I always used to browse through the magazines with my little brother and we always used to choose a page. Yeah. So his side was always the left and my side was always the left. and uh, most of the times, I always used to tell him that I always get the beautiful images yeah. that are on 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 the page. And um, sadly enough, I would cut off images. Um, probably that was the first time I ever deep etched something because yeah. I'd cut nicely around the border of of these images. But I was always in 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 awe to see how beautiful these images were. Yeah. And I would sort of like create like a tiny little book where I stuck everything. And my mom would be like, I'm buying magazines, but all the images inside are being cut out. What is <laughs> happening? And sadly, on the other side, probably there would be a nice recipe. Yeah. And um, now she can't get to the recipe because I cut out a bottle on the other side. And then I stuck it in my tiny little book. And I was like, oh, no, we needed it at school. And I have to do sort of like a, a nice collage for my teacher. Yeah. And I have to present this. But it was just all basically for myself. So I think... 
there, I, I always had um, easy, um, what's the right word? Uh, I started growing a visual yeah. library at, at a quite at a quite at a quite young age, yeah. looking at beautiful images and seeing all these nice bottles, seeing all these models in in magazines. Yeah. So that's where it all. I had this subliminal or subconscious visual lab library in my head growing up all my life. That's really cool. It's really interesting. So you mm. basically you started a visual like diary before you even had sort yes. of like the language around what that actually represents. Absolutely. And when I got to university, mm. then they told me, No, you need to have a visual a visual diary. Yeah. And I said to myself, What is that? And so I just cut out images that inspire you, stick them and you know, you could always build up a direction when it comes to photography and then it just clicked to my mind I've been doing this all my life and I remember at some point when I was a, a much older um, young man uh, mm. much older young man <laughs> uh, I probably started um, uh, collecting magazines myself so mm. I always used to look at imagery and before I even decided that I was going to study photography um, buying my first camera I wanted to um create the images that I was seeing in, in magazines. Yeah. So that's where my whole journey then started. I remember I bought my, myself my first camera and I would start looking at these images. I was like, okay, if I can take an image like this, like how they've brought it in the, in the magazine. Yeah. So my point of reference was always in a magazine. And um, this is how I need to translate imagery and bring it to life. So interesting. So before you even studied, you were like sort of prepping your mind and almost like, what is the word? Like a visual literacy. That's, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. You're developing your visual literacy from quite a young age. That's right. That's right. And I think always just looking through all these images, you know, you can just go through a magazine and sometimes you close it. And then the beautiful thing about visual literacy is that it can always come back to you when you create. Yeah. Um, you just store it at the back of your mind. And then obviously, so you went on to um, study a BTEC in photography um, at the University of Chuane, which yeah. you finished in 2015. So do you mm-hmm. think like in the age of the internet, obviously where we are right now, where everything is so digitally connected yeah. and so easily accessible, to choose the path of like self-directed learning, do you think that there is yeah. still a value in sort of having a formal background in and training in photography? I think so. I actually do think so. Um, I'm pro it. I was saying to my friend the other day, uh, a few weeks, just before lockdown, actually, and I was like, oh, I think I wasted my time going to university, and I I really don't think this was worth it. I spent four years. And then he looked at me and he said, "Um, you are one of the most technically rich people I know, Mm. but you would never be technically rich if if it wasn't for the formal schooling that you had yeah i think one can 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 self-teach themselves but there's always a limit to what you can get when you when you do um formal learning in in photography Mm. so in this internet age i think it would need you to um you have to do extra more in a way to acquire all the knowledge and uh, i mean university for me was intense it was so intense with this stuff that I didn't even want to do at times. But I'm so grateful that I have the skills yeah. around it, and I, um, I, I, I'm more, 
are more knowledgeable in in in, in a variety of things. So yeah. I'm not only stuck onto onto one direction. Yeah, completely. But it's also it's also really yeah. what I find really fascinating is that with that formal training, it almost like opens your mind to more a deeper understanding. And then in this age that we're in, yeah. where everything is so accessible, yeah. you can almost keep your knowledge like topping up. That's not the right word, but you can almost top up your knowledge and just sort of add on to that yeah. baseline that you already have. And and also, I think you know when you when you, I mean, when you go to university, it's like they teach you everything. Mm. I mean, almost everything, um, in a way. And then I think you find a beautiful way to to narrow down to what you would want to do as an yeah. individual, because now you can see, okay, this is what I actually enjoy. Yeah. Um, this is what I would really love to 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 hang on to. This is what I would really love to do. So I think you know, I, I'm I'm pro education, and yeah. you know, I was a, I was as dumb as a dodo when I got to university, and they fine tuned. I, I really say that they did a good job. They really fine tuned the way I, I can see. Yeah. Um, as a photographer. While you were at university, so, did you sort of were you able to like figure out? Within even if it within your own mind, where your passion yes. and where your focus with photography lay or still lies to this day? I think in my second year. In my second year, that's when um that's when there was now direction. I remember I had to do a personal project. Yeah. And um coming from a from a from a commercial university, um, I think I've done like two different two different projects mm-hmm. and everything was just now nah, you can do better. And then I did the second one. Now nah, you can do better. So it was like, I was just like hitting the wall. Yeah. And then I remember we did this one assignment. Um, we shot on Hasselblad. It was on film, black and white. Wow. And after I did that assignment, yeah. and then I was like, okay, I think this is, this is what I'd love to do. Yeah. And I, I went on, it was a special assignment, but then I went on to plead with my lecturers to make it a personal project. Mm. So there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of rules and regulations around me working around um, a Hasselblad camera and yeah. I'm also in studio and I said I was going to do portraiture and I only had two weeks to do the personal assignment before the end of the year yeah. for me to actually get a mark for it. So that whole process, I, I remember it vividly, um, that whole process shaped the way I did my next project in mm. the next few years and even to my pro- even to my portraiture today. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for that um, specific project, so I was able to find myself, and I was able to say, "This is what I would love to do continually." Yeah. Um, come what may. You sort of shared some of your sources of inspiration from magazines at your beginnings to obviously your personal sort of projects within university. Um, but I wanted to ask, do uh, you? Where do you draw your inspiration from? Do you have like a one specific I, source or is it like many sort of? I think my one specific, not really one specific yeah. um, place. I actually, amazingly, um, I always tell people, I stay in this community called Sunnyside in Pretoria. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been staying here ever since I went to university and probably will move move out, <laughs> I don't know, someday in the future. Yeah. But the one thing people always say about this place is that it's a tiny little Africa. Yeah. So you get a lot of people from different places and um, different cultures mm-hmm. and you can get to experience a whole lot. So 
that's probably my my first point of inspiration because every day I interact with different people. Yeah. I see different culture and it's it's very sunny and warm in a in a in a in a way, yeah. um ironically. Um uh, whenever I walk through the streets and just that cultural um um richness mm. that it has. Um, whenever I travel and then I come back home, I've been in a few parts in, in Africa. Yeah. And whenever I come back and it feels like there's a tiny little piece of what I experienced in my journey mm. when I come back home. So that's always my, my first point of, of inspiration, interaction with people, yeah. um, seeing how, how beautiful sun just sits on, on people when I'm walking around the streets. If I don't have any inspiration, all I just need to do is just go out, walk in the yeah. streets, um, meet people, um, just absorb the energy around uh, around me. I think that's like my everyday fix. Yeah. Um, even during this lockdown, I've just been so privileged being home, which I'm never I'm never home during any other day yeah. because I have to work. I work in Joburg most of the time. So just watching the light, um, um, just, you know, light trails from morning until dusk. Yeah. Um, the warmness of the light. Um, you know, this that just gives me um, inspiration um, in a in a in a in an organic way. Yeah. Just saying. And sir, so, uh, you touched a bit on lockdown. I actually wanted to ask you because obviously, if you if you're seeking your inspiration from being outdoors, and I know um, just from our sort of deep dive into um, into you as a creative, you also yes. you're a runner. Yes. So how how yes. did you handle those two weeks? Now I'm questioning whether it was two weeks <laughs> or it was four weeks. Was it four weeks <laughs> when we were inside? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it was four weeks. We're so inside. Hey. <laughs> I do you see? This is like this is the level of of how my brain is not even comprehending what we've been through. But how did you handle that uh-huh. time? Um, it was, you know what happened, the first two weeks, the mm. first week I was like, no, I'm going to rest. I'm just going to rest. Yeah. Um, just take it easy. And then the second week I was just like, oh, some, it just feels a little bit awkward because you've cleaned the house, you've turned everything upside down. And I was like, okay, I haven't exercised in probably like two, three weeks now. So yeah. what's the way around it? I bought a skipping rock. So I, was, I tried skipping in the passage mm-hmm. and tried happening there. And then I, I realized, you know what, the only way I can save myself is go run in the basement. Oh yeah. So okay. we've got a basement parking. We got a basement parking, and um, I had to fight with the security. And I don't know how you can't be here. Oh, then and they were like, okay, cool. I'll run out of your way. So I, I did. I don't know how many loops. Yeah. I used to do in the in the, in the parking lot, and then I found some mates that were doing some boxing on one little corner. So it, it became a, a little gym, um, early hours and later in yeah. the afternoon. So I think I, I gained all my sanity by just running it, which is which I hate. I hate running in circles. Yeah. Um, but this time around, I was just like, as long as I can, as long as I can just go out and and and, and just run and just absorb, um, yeah. get my blood flowing a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was my fix, running mm-hmm. in the in the in the in the in the parking lot. Yeah. And also just like clearing some brain space. I think that that for me was the most yeah. difficult part. It's just that you're just sitting there in the fog that is your mind, which is <laughs> it's intense. That's, that's very true. I think I did everything that I, I really wanted to do. And then I was just like, okay, cool. Oof, this is this is no more happening. This is not <laughs> going in the direction I yeah. expected. 
and you know there was always there's always a way to to like um juice things around if juice is a word juice is definitely yeah. a word yes <laughs> <laughs> But also yeah. super nice that you you were able to like communicate with other people outside of your sort of um closed in space because I think that is also so important. Yes. I I'm, I'm in a I'm in a big community mm. in a way so you know you just I mean the social distance element is still there yeah. but it's just like okay cool we we all stuck here you know my just as well say hello let's meet, meet the neighbors say hello you know and you yeah. know good to hear you oh you stay here oh I never knew where you stay but I've been here next door for years. Yeah. yeah. But this is, I, and I think we were we were sort of touching on this briefly before we started recording, but this is almost like yeah. the, the positive side that has come out of this really crazy, scary time that we're going through. It's that connection and that like, that focus on what's important to each of us and to, to us as a community, a global community, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Amazing. I yeah. think, like I said earlier on, my, Mother Nature needed some time to to heal yeah. the land, in a way, just to clean up um, some 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 clean air mm. for us. Yeah, and you can you can see it. I mean, I know from from experience, just in Cape Town, you can see like the smog. It's almost gone. It's crazy. Really? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So Amazing. she's she's taken her time and she's she's doing all of her good work. I think. Yeah. Spring cleaning all year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and hydrate but while we do that you can help us make our creative community bigger by spreading the word and sharing Orm's air with your community we'd love to have you join the discussion and make your voice heard by DMing, inboxing, tweeting, emailing or even carrier pigeoning your most burning creative thoughts, questions and wanderings go on, you know you want to so I wanted to ask you um Obviously, anyone anyone who is familiar with Tatenda's work, and if you're not, um, uh-huh. you you must you must do so immediately. Well, obviously, finish listening to this episode, but after that, please go and have a deep dive through his Instagram and um, his online resources. His Tumblr account is is beautiful. Um, so, anyone who's familiar with your work online will know that you have yeah. traditionally gravitated towards black and white imagery. So I wanted yeah. to ask, what is it about black and white photography that draws you to this particular medium? I love black and white. Mm. It it simplifies for me. I think that's the the most perfect place of minimalism. Yeah. Um, um, I, I see I see better and I see more in in black and white images. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people that whenever whenever I shoot something to be black and white, I can I can stare at it for a long time. Yeah, and a few years down the line, it it still has it still has impact. Yeah, um, for me, and I, I can I can emphasize the subject. Mm. Um, um, in, in, in 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 when I, when I shoot it in black and white. Yeah. So I really I, I really appreciate it, and um, one of my friends always used to say to me, "You were supposed to be a photographer in the '80s because everything of yours is like you don't see any color." Yeah. Or you know, it should have been like a, a forefather before us. So I really enjoy, you know, just um, just doing the grade. Even um, after shooting the image, I spend more time grading black and white than I would have done in a in a in a color image. Mm. Um, because I mean, the richness of texture, just the beauty in um, just I think I can outline 
the subject more yeah. in black and white for me. It's almost like the all of the distractions that color bring are completely yes. just focus. Yes. Because that is something that really, I it personally, for me, when I experience your work, yes. it really shines through. You have this this innate like ability to just capture someone's it's almost like that um that idea that photography captures a soul or a piece of who you are uh-huh. or who your your focus is and you really do do that with your yeah. images and i think that's uh-huh. it's such a Thank beautiful you. way of describing it that like minimalism but stripping back of all of the distractions that life has and just the focus on the the purity of that soul or that person or that space that yeah. you're capturing you really can experience yeah. it. And I, I think it's also one thing that I appreciate, like I was saying to you, that mm. personal project that I had to do um, in two weeks. Mm. Um, and I remember um, I, I, only had, I only had like two rows of black and white um, film yeah. and I had to develop it myself. So I think before I even, um, before I even um, talk about the digital part of just... Um, um, grading an image and making it black and white. Yeah. I mean, in this day and age, it's just a click of a button and then it's black and white. Yeah. You can just desaturate it. It's already black and white. I think also just shooting on film just helps me now to, you know, you know, you have to really process the film in such a way that you want to get the best out of it. Yeah. So I think I, I respected the whole, um, just the whole process of black and white from developing my own film when I was in university. And then now whenever I look at an image, um, whether it's captured digitally or um, it's a digital image and then I have to convert it to black and white, my point of reference is always from from that element of mm. film. But I love that. And you, you do mainly shoot um, on film, right? Yes. That's, you do? Yes. We, I, still, I, I, still, I mean, most of my personal work, mm. um, and then a little bit here and there just to balance it off, I do shoot on digital now, but most of my personal work is, is on film. Why? Why is that? Why? Why have you chosen to shoot a lot of your personal work, as you said, on film over digital? Yeah, we, we, I think I was probably one of the first, the first people, mm. probably um, first generation people or um, group of people at mm. my university that shot on on digital. I think they just received digital cameras like five years before I got there. Yeah. So. Um, and then, but we still had a lot of technical assignments mm-hmm. that we had to do on, on, on film. And we had to wrangle everything from 4 by 5 and then medium format, and then yeah. 35, 35 mil. So I remember the process when we had assignments that we had to do on digital. It was just, it's, it's a quick thing. Yeah. You, you can go out and then you go snap, 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 snap. And then you come back in and say, oh, it looks good. It's already mm-hmm. at, the, at the back of your at the back of the camera. And I remember we had to shoot a house um, on four by five and we only had two slides. It was um, me and my two mates. So the whole process of just shooting on film slows you down yeah. a lot more because now you have to, you have to consider um, and compensate mm. for the time that you're going to be looking at the back of your, of your camera to say, oh, I think the image looks good. Yeah. The image has to literally look good before you even go into your into your camera yeah. or to take an image when you're shooting on film. So I think that whole slow process um, allowing you to perceive before you, you you create the image before you even get to click the image. Yeah. 
So I think that's the, one of the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful things about about film, the anticipation and just the slowdown yeah. to um, as to digital photography. Yeah, and that's it's such an interesting um, an interesting thought process behind it. And I know that like a lot of our listeners shoot mainly on digital, and there is quite a yeah. A little bit of a, a thing <laughs> between digital and film and a lot of the digital community are very sort of, they think that film is obsolete and yeah. um, <laughs> more of a throwback than sort of a, an actual way forward. But I I mean... Retro. Yes, retro. And then you get where it labels like hipster thrown into the mix, which I mean, in some circles, <laughs> isn't exactly a, a positive thing to be associated with. But I, fully, yes. I hear you, and I think um, Jess and I have done a couple of episodes where we just solely discuss film and how important it is. And I think at the beginning, it almost gets you back to the, ori- the origins of this art form that we all so love. That's so, true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, um, uh, one of my mentors always says to me, no, you can always just grade it to film. Mm. I just think to myself, no, it doesn't look the same. Yeah, exactly. It completely does. It does not look the same. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's that element also. Um, I mean, you you shoot on a you shoot on a on a on a, on a film that already has a color temperature and daylight, yeah. and then probably you're stuck indoors and you have to shoot it indoors. And then when you process the next, oh, wow, it looks completely different. Yeah. Um, in a way, so I think there's something just unique. Yeah. about film and that is just i mean we can preset we can we can do presets and all of that stuff but there's just a tangible um sense of um organic yeah feel that that film film has yeah um in a way yeah you can almost you can feel the process that whole you know like you were saying you make the image before you actually even click the or hit the button yes yeah. yes yes fill it through through the the images that are created completely what cameras do you shoot on when you're shooting film? When I'm shooting film, I've got a Minota. I've got a mm-hmm. tiny little Minota 100. Yeah. Um, it's Minota, something, uh, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know the actual name, but it's like, that's my everyday go-to, mm-hmm. go-to um, um, camera. And then I've, um, a Hasselblad 500 CM, which I always, um, ask, yeah, I wish I, wish I'd, I wish I personally owned one. But a friend of mine always borrows it to me, and then uh, I, I use. That's probably like I've, I've, every single day. I'm always yeah. looking for a, for a good deal online. I don't know one day if anybody knows where I can get one. I would try to get one of those. But that's um, I really love medium format. Yeah, and Hasselblad is probably my favorite. Spare format challenges me whenever I look um, through it. Yeah. I mean, I am sorry, no one can see my face, but when you were talking about that, I, was, I literally turned into that emoji, that screaming face emoji. Oh, I've never even touched one. I, but oh really? gosh, I can't even imagine. They are just so beautiful. I, I, had, a, I had a magical moment, mm. like I said to you earlier on, um, that one specific assignment. And my lecturer, um, we, we had we had a three lecturers that taught us practical and yeah. every one of them came in with a different direction. And this one lecturer, she kept on talking about it from the first day and she showed us um, the, the previous image. She's got a good collection and mm. she's been doing this assignment probably. She was doing this. She had done that assignment for like five years before us. 
So whenever um, whenever she spoke about it, it's like, oh, I've got this one image. So she, she I think she built it up in a yeah. way that we, when we got to the day, everyone was well prepared and everyone just had so much to spend. And from that day, I think it just drew my heart. Yeah. Um, got my emotions. Yeah, completely. Do you have a, a specifically favorite type of film to shoot on? Portra. Kota Portra 400. Mm, it's um, a beautiful I, film. I love it. I love it. I, 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 recently, I had a lot of it, mm-hmm. um, but it was expired. And then a cousin, one of my cousins bought me like a pack, yeah. like fresh. And then uh, completely beautiful. Um, and, and also just um, Ilford, Ilford, the black and white and Delta, Delta mm. 400, the, the black and white ones. Yeah. Do you have any, any advice um, that you could sort of share with those who are wanting to sort of dip their toes into shooting with film? Like, is there any, any advice or insight that you would have benefited from when you first started shooting on film? I think probably because I was taught by oh, yeah. someone how to how to shoot on film, it just made it way much easier. Yeah. Um, um, so I mean, I mean, some some of these some of these film cameras don't even come with light meters. Yeah. And some of them, the light meter is not so so accurate, and also the element that you can't you actually can't see the image at the back of your of your camera until you 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 go and and process the film. Mm. So I think what would be quite interesting um, for someone that is um, is starting off to shoot on film is just that element of surprise. Mm. It's definitely going to come. You don't know what's going to come out on the other side. Yeah. But also, I think my 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 my, my, my one piece of advice would be uh, take time to to um, to what's the right to visualize mm. before you shoot on your film because mm. every click is is is, is worth it. And you know, just make the best out of it, and just go on and just shoot. I remember when I when I li- literally said, you know, what, I'm going to experiment with this whole thing of, of film. I'll just take out my camera, mm-hmm. walk around, um, you know, those thirty six those thirty six frames yeah. um, on a roll of film or twenty four, and just go go around. You know, when you see color, because that's the beautiful thing about film; it really preserves color. Yeah. Um, in a way, before you even um, you before you even change it to become black and white. So you can get really amazing colors um, in a different different grade mm. in a way. So whenever you see light streaking through, whenever you, you know, just take a take a walk around and just use it. You can never lose anything. Yeah. The, probably the most expensive thing about film photography is actually film. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> even yeah. if something happens to you, they take your camera, you wouldn't lose much. So I think that's one good tool that you can use to explore. Mm. Um, left, right, and center. Yeah, and then obviously we we can't we can't talk about um, your film photography without sort of touching yes. on the fact that you were um, one of the featured photographers in the inaugural issue of um, the Orms Cape Town yes. School Photography's Half Tone publication. Yes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, beautiful. It was such a beautiful collection. Um, and for those of our listeners who don't know about Halftone, Halftone was a publication that was put together to sort of celebrate the work of African analog photographers. I just wanted to sort of touch on that with you. So how did you how did you become involved yeah. in the publication and the the print exhibition that sort of accompanied the the first release of this magazine? 
I think that was probably like one of the one of the best things that ever happened to me last year. Mm. Um, I got an email. Um, I, I keep forgetting his name. Um, Carrot. Yes, yeah. there you go. Kutsia, <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. He's a lecturer. Someone called him Mr. Kutsia. He, he dropped me an email and yeah. then he said, um, hey, we love your work. And we, we're going to be publishing um, uh, uh, an analog an analog um, magazine. And I said to myself, oh, okay, that's a first. A whole entire book on just analog photography um, in this day and age, which is like, like you know, no one, no one wants to go in that direction. Yeah. I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in. And then a few weeks later, um, I think just a few months later, and then they sent me, they sent me the book. I was just like, um, this is entirely gorgeous. Yeah, the, the artists that were inside beautiful. the book, it was a beautiful, beautiful curation. Mm. And I think it, African analog was, was beautifully translated yeah. in the, in the, in the curation. And what was it, what was it like to see your, your work in print, firstly, and then secondly, yeah. alongside images um, from the likes of photographers like Justice McKelly and um, Jesse Voss. That, 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 that was a phenomenal. I, I always say to people, I'm a, I'm a small fish swimming with big, with big fish. Yeah. So wherever big fish goes, <laughs> it looks like I'm always, I'm, I'm always, I'm always pulled along um, with, with, with big fish. Mm. I think that was like um, such a, such a, um, such an honor to be to be sitting with with, with photographers photographers like Justice and, yeah. and Jesse, and also um, I, I, I honestly believe that as African photographers, we have a responsibility mm -hmm. to be to to translate um, African imagery yeah. from a first hand um, place. Yeah. Whereas you know it's easy you get. Um, photographers from all over the world coming to Africa yeah. and trying to, you know, bring whatever um, what their own translation, mm -hmm. but they only have a brief amount of time to experience the place, and yeah. then they they go back and say that we've captured Africa, mm. which is a little bit which is a little bit vague for me. So, but I, I honestly believe as Africans and as African photographers, we we live the African life every day. Yeah. We know what African life is, and we we, we understand the cultural values, the mm -hmm. limits, and um, um, where to go and where not to go. Yeah. And I think from that, as a first-hand person that experiences um, Africanism, we we, we we have a platform where we can be able to translate it yeah. accurately. Um, 100%. So I think this is I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to to the future of of half turn and I think if we don't do it ourselves, I think no one else will be able to do it. Yeah. And I think the whole the world needs needs such um publication so that yeah. they can be able to have a taste of um the real beauty and not an external not an external facade of mm. what Africa is yeah. um in a way. Yeah and justice we um we hosted justice on the podcast uh, last year. And his, I yeah. think he says it so perfectly. It's that um, telling authentic African stories through the eyes of African photographers and African creatives. Yeah. And as you were saying, it is such a different experience. There's 
this level yeah. of of realness that comes through in those images mm. that you can spot mm. a mile away. Yes, yes. And I think also, you know, it's, yeah, this is one thing I would love to hold myself to the responsibility of translating mm. African photography. Because, I mean, it's easy to, to be able to translate something from putting up images mm. on a mood board yeah. and say, okay, we're going to do it in this way and we're going to do it that way and we'll do it that way. Whereas if it's a real storytelling, it's a, it's a, it's a different direction because you experience it every day. Yeah. You know where, where, where to find this and where to find that yeah. and how things are genuinely done um, in, in the communities yeah. and just in Africa in general. Yeah, and it is, and it's it's a, the honor of this of telling the story, and honoring the people yeah. whose stories you are telling. Yeah, that's yeah. true, absolutely yeah. true. Before we continue unpacking this topic, we would like to give a big thank you to Orms, without whom this wonderful podcast would not be possible. Orms is a cornerstone of the creative community in South Africa, offering industry leading support, the latest gear and world-class display options to photographers, artists, and visual creators, both locally and internationally. As always, you can find out everything you need to know by visiting ormsdirect.co.za. The link can also be found in the show notes for this episode. Now let's get back to the discussion. We've spoken about your black and white photography. Um, yeah. But in recent years, you have included some color images in your work. Um, perhaps most notably your solo exhibition Until We Safe at um, BKHZ Gallery in, was late last year, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Last um, year, towards the end. Yeah, towards the end of the year. So I wanted to sort of to ask you about that body of work and ask and sort of pry into what what the the inspiration behind that body of work was. So the inspiration behind my, my solo exhibition was, um, I, I think it's mostly the work mm. that I'd done after university. Mm-hmm. And um, I started working with different, with different people, yeah. um, collaborating with, with, with different um, artists, makeup artists, stylists, and um, just now being in the actual um, world of photography mm-hmm. where the machine is, is rolling, yeah, and, and 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 probably not not a not a not a not a safe um, not a safe haven yeah. in a way where everything's so controlled for you. So um, this body of work that I um, that that I did put up together for my solo exhibition, um, I have images running all the way from 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, that that, that um, and probably one of my first projects also after after university. And as you can see, everything was literally in color. Yeah. Um, for once, it, <laughs> for once, so I just challenged myself um, to run away from um, from black and white, mm-hmm. so that I could just expand a little bit, a little bit more in my in in my in the way that I, I perceive, yeah. and also traveling quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I just seen that the textures and the richness. Um, that one can also, you know, you, you can, you have that element where you can take it out in an image when you make it black and white. Yeah. But when you keep the color in it, um, now you can be able to translate the, the richness and just the natural feel of how things would have been, um, um, put up together. Yeah. So the way I put up this body of work is that, um, 
these these were different series of images that I'd done with with a friend of mine called Neo Siraji, he's a stylist. Mm-hmm. And um and um the way we had we had approached it was um I think if you can look at almost all my subjects, there were they are male subjects in the in the in the exhibition. Yeah. And just facing the element of masculinity, we went in probably some of the stuff we shot in in the most bizarre places. I remember there's some images that we shot in Post Laurel, um, yeah. which is a township um, um, probably in the west, in the west of Johannesburg. Yeah. And we had, he grew up there. So we had these very, very feminine clothing in mm-hmm. a way. And, um, um, and they had these muscular people um, wearing these, um, these, these images, muscular men actually yeah. wearing these, um, these these outfits. So you know, just from that, while it's capturing the images, people would have different um, comments around it. What what is happening? How yeah. come this is like this? Oh, I would never, I would never. Even the models would be like, "Will I be? Will I even be safe if mm. I was to be found wearing this thing in this kind of a in this kind of a community?" So it yeah. was a gradual journey in in building up this body of work and, you know, just trying to bring out the, you know, just, just the norm in mm-hmm. areas where people say this is abnormal yeah. for, for someone to be found like this and just breaking the, the everyday um, stereotypes yeah. around, around um, masculinity yeah. in a way. Yeah. Well, that's, that's beautiful. It's, it sounds like you, you started to have the conversations that I'm sure the exhibition as a whole would elicit yeah. in the creation of the exhibition or the work that would be exhibited. Yeah. And how did you what how did you find those those conversations went? Sure, it, it's always a tricky space. Mm. Um, you know, it, it always it, it's always a tricky space. Yeah. Some people, I remember there's this one image. Um, there's a guy who's, who's wearing um, he's topless, very buff guy, and he's wearing um, purple purple pants. Mm-hmm. They look like bell bottoms. And um, the place where we shot it is like a, is like a hostel. So it's like a lot of men that stay there, and and it's just probably the most absurd thing. And I remember people were standing and looking at us, like, mm. oh, "What is he doing? And why are things supposed to be like that?" So it's, I mean, people people can talk about it, yeah. But I think there's still a level there's still a level of of people not understanding, yeah. Um, sexuality, people not understanding what people are, what people just prefer themselves, yeah. um, just a personal preference um, in a way. So there's still like a long way to, to be able to go in terms of com- uh, um, conversation. Mm. But I'm sure it's way much better um, than where I come from. I think in, if it was in Zimbabwe, it would probably have been chased away yeah. and told us, you need to go, you can't be doing stuff like this um, um, in a way. But I, I think it's, Every day, with our mm. with our visuals, we always add to something, um, yeah. um, add to a bit of knowledge, add to bring to break um, abnormalities and just to break common stereotypes. Yeah, um, in a way. Yeah, completely. And I think that's that's um, that's where visuals hold so much of their power, because you're not you're not yeah. limited by language or any of those other yeah. things. You know, you can everyone can that's see true. an image and understand it and draw their own interpretations yeah. from it. What was it like yeah. to showcase, to have a solo exhibition 
and to showcase your contribution to a topic that is, as I can understand, very close to your heart. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're willing to share sort of this ex- experience with us, but you are most welcome to not and to step away from it. Okay. Um, I actually, I, I, I will. I will. I, I was. I remember the day when the opening happened. Yeah. Um, I drove past the gallery, and then I saw people waiting outside, and I was just like, "This is this is not real." <laughs> so I drove around yeah. and I parked, and I sat in my car for a few for a few minutes just to just to calm just to calm my just to calm myself. Yeah. I'm, and I'm generally a person who says, um, "Let my imagery." Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I don't like having a lot. I don't have. I don't like having um, a lot of conversation around, 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 you know, around my work. Yeah. Um, in a way, so I was, I was really nervous, but I think I was. I, I got so overwhelmed by the support that I that I that I received in that time, and I learned. Um, people always want to connect with the artist yeah. when they see imagery. And I think um, far far beyond anything, it's a privilege to be able to have an audience around mm-hmm. you and people who would want to ask questions. And I even remember when we had the walkabout, um, people have people have questions. Yeah. And they want to know. They want to have an understanding. So I, I felt a little bit vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember um, Banile, Banile Koza, um, the curator mm-hmm. and his team um, for B, BKHZ Gallery. And then yeah. it's, like, it's about time. And he's the one, probably he's the first curator to ever show my work in an exhibition. And he comes to me and he's like, okay, it's about time you have your first solo exhibition. And we had spoken about it at the beginning of the year. And I was just like, no, this will not happen. Yeah. This is not going to be real. So I think um, it, I, it was it was very special mm. and it will go a long way. Um, special to me, and it was also in the week of the um, FMB um, art art fair. Yeah. So it it there was just a lot of traffic, and it just brought a lot of meaning just mm. to me being a photographer, yeah. and just that whole support from people gave me a reassurance that I was in a in a in a good direction. Yeah, You're on the right path. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you which is it's crazy because we i don't think we realize like as um i don't want to say grown people but like you i don't think you realize how important it is to have that that sort of um assurance from yes. others. yeah that's so true and and it, it's always um sometimes i introduce myself to people hi i'm pretender yeah, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, is it, is it you? The guy, <laughs> the guy, the guy!" I <laughs> say myself, "Oh my word, oh, I love your work." And people are, people are looking, and yeah. it's it's a you know, I never saw I, I never saw my career going in that direction where I have to be responsible to um, translate yeah. what I was. Well, what I was, or what I was perceiving, probably my sleep, or probably my walk <laughs> somewhere. You know, yeah. I was like, okay, let me just go. I saw it like this a bit now. So it's, it's it's a beautiful. I think there's. I think in 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 my career, that's one of the most um, priceless um, feelings and the most priceless mm-hmm. things that can be granted to to an artist. Yeah. Um, just that appreciation. And your your work is very much appreciated. I mean, I'm saying Thank this. You. I'm saying this Thank from an Orm's perspective. Um, Thank you. <laughs> you are so You're welcome. Um, so we've we've discussed your your film photography, 
But I wanted to sort of touch on your smartphone photography because you do you do sort of sometimes snap an image or two and I I don't want to make it sound so simplified as snapping an image because obviously there's work involved in that too but when when is that when do you make that decision to use your cell phone instead of using your camera and capturing something on film is there a moment um there is a moment and that moment is the light is right Mm -hmm. my heart just went oh yeah. This is this is this is I need this and that time I don't even have my phone camera, I don't even have my camera yeah. with me and I was like, Okay, this is this is opportunity. Uh, actually just today uh, I went to go see a friend of mine and there was just this one guy who was he was sitting in the barkeep and um the sun was just hitting at the right spot, there was a nice shadow underneath the hat that it was wearing and I was just like, Oh, that's the moment. That's the moment. So like, what are you on about? I was like, That's the moment. And I always rip out my smartphone and then jump onto it. And just funny enough, I actually did a, a, a young series of, yeah. during lockdown with my with my cell phone. I took pictures around my complex. Yeah. Uh, just using just using my my, my, my my smartphone. It's it's crazy that we've gone from one form of photography that a lot of like um, photographers now sort of turn their noses up yeah. to another. Because smartphone photography yeah. obviously is another another um, form of creativity that a lot of people are sort of think is is not as technically challenging or creatively challenging as using a digital yeah. camera, but it um, it is. And fun, funny enough, one of my lecturers always used to say this to us: to us "It's not about the camera that you have, but it's about the operator yes. and the optics that you yeah. have. If you can just do that." And I, I remember this one time we were we we went out we drove we drove so far mm. and then um, we drove so far and we went to go shoot and then after like I had like two rows of film mm-hmm. and then there's just one image just one image that I needed and all I had was a cell phone mm. and the image is there in front of us but there's nothing to capture it with yeah and then all I had was a cell phone and I shot it. And, you know, beautiful now, thank God for Photoshop and all of these things. Yeah. That image is actually like about 60 centimeters um, um, in length. So yeah. it's, a, it's a beautiful tool. You yeah. can, you can, cell phones, cell phones are, <laughs> okay. <laughs> they are cell phones, but you can, you can make, you can create. You, yes. Once you see, I, I mean, visual, yeah. I mean, once you see the image, the image is there in front of you and all these things, cameras, cell phones, they're just instruments mm. to be able to translate that which you are seeing yeah. at that time. But I, yeah. I love I love the way that you just put that because that is exactly what it is. It's not about the tool. Mm. It's about the eye. It's not, it's not about the tool. Mm. And I've heard so many people, like especially young photographers, they come to me, oh my gosh, so what camera are you using? Um, teach me how to take images. I'm like, okay, cool. So our first test is that the only way I can help you is that you need to start taking images. But I don't have a camera. I'm like, do you have a cell phone? Mm. Like, I have a cell phone. What do you take with your cell phone? Like, ah, selfies at times. I'm like, okay, probably maybe turn the camera around and start just looking. Because all you just need is just that square or that rectangle. And then from there, you can learn a lot. You can learn composition. You can look at light through that tiny little box and then create from there on. Yeah, completely. 
Um, I, my next question is actually, do you have any tips <laughs> for taking <images? laughs> any tips? <laughs> uh, just point it out. <laughs> just point it out with you. As long as it's not facing you, look through it. I mean, sometimes you know you you caught in a space where the light looks so nice. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my god, my friend is always saying, oh, you're obsessed with light. I'm like, oh yeah, photo photographer. So photo exactly. is light. So exactly. I have to be, I have to be a you know a graphic designer with light. Yeah. You know, and you know, just bring it, just bring it to light. So sometimes the light is just perfect, and um, I mean, our eyes capture more images than we actually have images. So you know, just grab whatever tool you have at that time yeah. and, and take images. It will help you even look because you know more. You won't just look at imagery when you have uh, a camera with you, yeah. but if you're constantly looking, then you can use whatever tool that you have at that time. There you go, guys. From Tatenda himself, yeah. follow the light, use your eyes. Yeah, that's great <laughs> advice. We touched on this earlier a little bit, but I wanted to ask you. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like we can't, we can't have a conversation, especially now, without talking about the pandemic that we're going through and lockdown. Yeah. And I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to ask you, how is how is lockdown now that we have? sort of like eased up a little bit of on the restrictions of movement but how has it affected yeah. your work and your creative process i think it's affected in a in a good way mm. um to to be honest on on on, on my side um yeah. first thing so i mean economic economically for anybody it's, it's like the weirdest time ever yeah. you know uh, uh, like four weeks without invoicing just think oh what's going to happen <laughs> you know but on a, on a on a just on a creative side um, I, I slowed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I got time to think. And also at the same time, I got time to conceptualize. Yeah. And one of the most beautiful things about this lockdown is that there are simple things that surround us every day um, that can easily be um, of, of inspiration mm-hmm. to us. We can use these things every day. Um, probably some of us have never even looked on the other side of the road. Yeah. Just to, to look at stuff. I, I remember one of my favorite things to do in my apartment. My apartment faces the north. So mm-hmm. It's winter now, so all the light comes in. Um, so just sitting down, for me, that was just special. Being able to, to look at the light trail yeah. from early morning, how soft it is, how it is at, 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 um, at, at midday, you know, and how it goes at the end of the day. And just, you know, snapping. Um, um, pictures with my with my iPhone. It's like, oh, let me quickly go up upstairs and let me go see how it looks from up there, and then see that just just the lines yeah. um, that the light creates, bouncing off from things, bouncing off from from windows, and um, just the warmth that it has. So it's a uh, for me, it, it's just given me time to to also just to have um, what can I say, like an organic process of mm. creating. Um, have time to to read a book. Have time to page through the magazines that mm-hmm. I had, and probably some you know some really nice um, correct the algorithm on my Instagram <laughs> at least. <you> know, <laughs> what's going to come job. up? <laughs> That's a whole job. I'm following some people. And say, oh, how, how did this happen? Who is this person? How come I'm following you? And just to you know, it, it was time away from everyone else, and mm-hmm. I really had to control my my time on social media and any, because that's the only access I had out to the world. Yeah. So, I mean, but you can easily just have your everyday life 
by just being on your phone because you can still connect to the whole world. But yeah. I took time just to being away from it and, you know, just be in a place of thought yeah. and, and find simple inspiration around me. So I think slowing down, but also just looking up, turning mm-hmm. and just, you know, looking at what you have and how you can better it off. I'm sorry, I'm just writing down that down quickly. <laughs> slowing down <laughs> and you. looking out. Yes. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I'll probably have to listen to this again and, <laughs> and jot down. I don't, I don't even know where some of these things are coming from. <laughs> they're just in your memory bank. They're in your, they're, they're in yes. you, which is the best thing about these conversations. I think like we always, we have this idea of who we are. And then as soon as you actually, you yes. sit down and you almost start unpacking things with somebody else especially a stranger you discover all of these parts of yourself that you really you don't think about or you don't touch on as often as we should i know i know it's like oh nice to meet you and then you're telling me my whole entire life (laughs) okay this is special (laughs) well i mean we have now come beautifully to the end of our conversation And I wanted to say thank you you so much for joining me and for being so incredibly honest and open and for sharing all of your experiences. And I know our listeners are going to love this episode to death and I'm sure you will go through and listen to it again just to write down some of the little seeds of wisdom that you shared with us. (laughs) Yeah, You know when you write down a quote and note and say, Oh, September Chidora. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>